Welcome to the Amber Restorative Podcast number one. In June 2013, I published an article on my blog called On Why I Remain an Atheist, which was the third installment of a series detailing my journey to and away from Christianity. Part 1 was a reflection on how I became a Christian at age 19, and Part 2 is a coming-out letter to my parents that explains how, with a dash of why, I became an atheist. These two articles stand well enough on their own, and they don't need any further attention from me. But my reasons for remaining an atheist, however, evolve over time, and that means that Part 3, which was essentially my defense of the atheistic position, is outdated. I decided to revise the article, to correct the errors that I know of, and to expand on the arguments. But it became clear early on that I could not feasibly fit all that I wanted to say in one essay. An adequate explanation of why I remain an atheist required a string of articles, and it made sense, given that there's still a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding about what atheism is and is not, to start the series with an introduction to atheism, and to define, in detail, the exact position that I intended to defend. For this, the first episode of The Amber Restorative, I'd like to read that article to you now. An Introduction to Atheism This article aims to communicate my understanding of atheism and a few related topics and it concludes with a description of my specific position, setting the context for my overall defense of why I remain an atheist. What you can and cannot infer from the atheist label remains a common area of confusion. Allow me to clarify. Atheism, like theism, is not in itself a worldview or religion. The label can't reliably inform you about beliefs, values, or even religious convictions. Buddhists are atheists in point of fact. Yes, there are atheist movements, and yes, there are atheists who share common worldviews and political ideologies, but there is diversity also, and sometimes spectacular differences of opinion. Many atheists, particularly in the West, like myself, adopt secular humanism as a worldview, have leftist political inclinations, and care deeply, the principal reason for atheist movements, I suspect, about social justice, separation of church and state, and the environment, but it's a mistake to infer these, or any other qualities, as a matter of course. Contrary to the tropes, atheists are not necessarily smart, rational or logical. Neither are they immoral, arrogant or joyless. That is, not any more than their theist friends. No, atheists are diverse. They are regular people. They are your friends, family and fellow humans. The one thing, indeed the only thing that can be inferred safely, is that all atheists lack belief in gods. My preferred definition reflects this minimum requirement. Atheism is the rejection of all theistic claims of a god's existence. Oxford Dictionaries defines it as the disbelief, or lack of belief, in the existence of a god or gods. I also like an atheist is someone who can't truthfully say, I believe a god exists. Under these definitions, an agnostic is also an atheist, at least in my view. Theism and atheism address belief, whereas Gnosticism and agnosticism address knowledge. It's accepted by orthodoxy that belief is a condition for knowledge, meaning that we can think of knowledge as a subset of belief. Theism, atheism, Gnosticism and agnosticism 
are not mutually exclusive either. They can be combined to help clarify a person's position. We also have to recognize that when it comes to labels, people have preferences, and that's okay. I might judge someone to be an atheist given the description of their position, but the person might like to identify as an agnostic instead, or a humanist, skeptic, freethinker, etc. Some people think that the atheist label should be strictly restricted to its definitional meaning, and they reject any sticky add-ons. It is technically, after all, only a position on one question. Others avoid the label because it's often misunderstood or vilified. There are many places in the world where admission of being an atheist will buy you abuse and cost you friends and family, and even your freedom or your life. It's obvious that no one label can fully describe a person. I'm an atheist and I love discussing the topic, but the label, despite having a significant impact on my outlook, describes little about me. Humanist, skeptic, and critical thinker, on the other hand, these labels do a better job of revealing who I am and who I want to be. There is, however, an argument to be made, mostly for political reasons, that disbelievers should publicly unite under a single label, like believers did when they pushed the Christian label to fight Roe versus Wade in the early 1970s. I would embrace atheist to that end, if required, but secular humanist is my preference. Atheism is naturally contrasted against the behemoth that is theism, whereas humanism is more inclusive with a counterpoint that is less clear. In the UK, the British Humanist Association, of which I am a member, does good work to protect and promote the things that I care about. Many organisations, particularly in the US, that have been successful in defending secular values are openly atheist movements. That's unfortunate for secularists who don't publicly identify as atheists, but it is what it is. Before I continue, allow me to indulge in a philippic. I'm weary, and indeed weary, of those who are so dogmatic about labels that they turn a deaf ear to people's descriptions of their position. I'm all for correcting people who misuse or misunderstand words. Definitions are important. But I have little time for interlocutors who attempt to invalidate a person's described position simply by waging definition wars. Neither do I have the inclination to engage with people who hyper-define terms, an oft-used apologetic tactic, to win an argument. To such as these, the endeavour to learn or to educate means little. So why indulge them? Right, let's get back to atheism. I've explained that atheists do not believe that a god exists. Many people, however, take that to mean that atheists must therefore believe that gods do not exist. On the flip side, there are many people who say that no, atheism is only the lack of belief in gods, nothing more, end of discussion. Both of these views are false. You see, atheism describes a position with respect to belief on whether a god exists, but it does not necessarily describe the position in full, and in this sense there are two forms of atheism that are both philosophically valid, as I will demonstrate. What's the difference between the lack of belief in existence and the belief in non-existence? Are they not effectively the same thing? Intuitively, we may be tempted to think so, but that's a mistake. Let me explain with an analogy. Consider a jar of coins and the two claims that can be made of the coin's parity. A. An even number of coins exist and b, an even number of coins does not exist. We can say of b, by definition and for simplicity, that an odd number exists. Only one of the claims can be true. They can't both be true. 
They can't both be false. And there are no other options. Now, if I reject claim A, that is, I don't believe that an even number of coins exists in the jar, does that mean that I now automatically believe the opposite claim? That there is an odd number of coins? Think about it while I offer a few crude thoughts and belief. In neuroscience, philosophy and psychology, belief is a non-trivial topic, which I don't pretend to comprehend in full, but they are common definitions, gross generalizations admittedly, that are nonetheless useful. One such is, belief refers to the attitude we have, roughly, whenever we take something to be the case, or regard it as true. Another definition, the one I'd like to share a few thoughts on, is belief is acceptance that a proposition is true, and acceptance is a result of becoming convinced. Ask yourself, can you choose to convince yourself of something of which you are not convinced? If you try, you're flirting with self-deception, and if you succeed, well, what does that say of your mental health and integrity? You can't then choose what you do or do not believe, at least not in any simple sense. For example, I did not choose to lose my belief in the Christian God. Instead, over time, through experience and education, my standards of evaluation changed and I came to understand that my reasons for believing were deeply flawed. As a result, my state of being convinced crumbled, until at some point I realized that I did not believe that Yahweh existed anymore. Now, let's return to the jar of money. If I look at a collection of coins, I'm not convinced that the number of coins is even, because I lack the skill to accurately count coins as an observer. And I'm likewise not convinced that the number of coins is odd. I cannot therefore believe either claim. And happily, I'm not required to. This is called the default position. It's a wonderful place where judgment is reserved. The coin problem is easily solved, of course. It's simple to investigate and gather evidence. But it's not so simple for a deity. And here the analogy to God's existence breaks down. In the case of the coins, the probability that either claim being true approximates 50%. That is because we know a lot about coins and jars, and we understand how coins generally get into jars. However, our probability calculation assumes an everyday use case, which may or may not be reasonable. Without fully understanding the context of how the coins got into the jar, we must concede that our calculation could be incorrect. When it comes to supernatural entities, we have to make many big assumptions due to lack of information. God's existence has not even been demonstrated to be possible. How can we guess at probabilities? Remember that anyone can conjure up a fantastical creature in their mind and say of it that it either exists or not. But the conjurer doesn't automatically get to claim that the existence is equally probable to its non-existence. This is one of the reasons why Pascal's wager fails to be persuasive. Why did I bring up the jar of coins in the first place? It is to illustrate that the rejection of a claim, of a binary proposition, does not mean a necessary acceptance of the opposite claim. I invested in this clarification so that you may understand the following. There are atheists who do not believe the claim that God does not exist. This is called negative atheism, or you can call it soft or weak atheism. And there are atheists who do believe it. That's called positive atheism, or also hard and strong atheism. I would be remiss not to mention that we can also make a distinction between implicit and explicit atheism to account for the absence of theistic belief without a conscious rejection and due to a conscious rejection, respectively.
In conclusion, let me describe my exact atheistic position. I'm an explicit, positive, agnostic atheist. I reject all theistic claims of a God's existence, minimum requirement. My absence of theistic belief is due to conscious rejection, explicit atheism. I believe that the claim, God does not exist, is true, positive atheism. I do not, however, claim to know that my belief is true, agnosticism. I am merely convinced, but I could be wrong. Indeed, if my reasons for believing are demonstrated to be unsound, I'll cease to believe it, leaving me in the position of being a negative atheist. Well, thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed that. I hope that you learned something. Visit my website, amrestorative.wordpress.com to see any references used in this article. And leave some feedback if you like the podcast, you like the article, if you disagree with anything that I said, if I got something wrong, let me know. Until next time, remember to be kind and uh, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Cheers.